I'm Damien Edelton, one half of Art92 and the creator of the sci-fi wrestling comic, The Galaxy Grappling Alliance. And welcome to All Men To That, the chip-free sporadic podcast series where I'll be talking to a selection of hand-picked guests on a diverse range of topics centred in and around the world of art, comics and all things creative. So on today's show, we continue our look at the art of self-publishing, and I'm pleased to be joined by one of the genuine powerhouses of the independent comic scene. Since 2007, Time Bomb Comics have been producing some of the most accomplished one-shots and graphic novels on the market, with a range of titles such as Bomb Scares, the highly acclaimed Flintlock series, and my personal favourite, the anthology series Brawler. There really is something for everyone. So without further ado... It's a big welcome back to the magnificent and arguably the most dapper man in comics, Steve Tanner. Hello, Damien. Thanks very much for inviting me on. It's really good to be back. I'll be honest; I've never been de- I've never been described as a powerhouse before. Um, <laughs> one or two people have called me a shite house over the years, but never a powerhouse. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> but no, it's brilliant. It's great to have you back on, mate. It's really good. Time has flown, sir, in these strange times. Yeah, I know. I think everything just blends into one. That's what it is. Every, every, every week is the same. <laughs> kind of. It's very strange. And it, it kind of, um, it goes past really quick, doesn't it? Because you, you sort of with working and stuff, and, you know, you'll start on the Monday grind, and then you blink twice, and it's Thursday, and you're like, Jesus, what's happened there? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And uh, it's only 240 days of Christmas. That's how close. That's oh, how you're joking. <laughs> oh, bloody hell, mate. You've you've lowered the tone already, haven't you? (laughs) That's it now. Have to edit that out. (laughs) Hopefully, Christmas this year might be a bit more fun than last year, though. Well, yeah, let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope hope lots of things are a bit more fun by the time we get to the end of the year. Yeah, and hopefully by the time I next physically see you, we'll both be uh, fully inoculated and you know good to go, and that'll be that'll be nice as well. Definitely, definitely. Good stuff. So obviously, this is part of a series that we run about um, self-publishing and people within the industry that I particularly admire about what they do and how they do it. And the purpose of this show is to maybe just give us a little bit of background about yourself and your history with comics and and how, you know, Time Bomb came about. And, you know, also we'll touch on things like, um, you know, what your influences are and what the theme of Time Bomb, if you have one, is actually across the range. And I have quite a diverse range of titles. So, And uh, and also at the end, Steve, you get to bestow some knowledge upon the, the listening public. When I will ask you, what advice would you give to anyone who's considering self-publishing? And you're not allowed to say, don't do it. <laughs> so uh, just to give you a heads up on that one. So just for people that maybe aren't as uh, au fait with yourself and, and your work, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your comics history? I mean, how did you get into comics to start with as far as a fan and stuff like that? Well, I, I've always been into comics ever since I was, I was little. I mean, comics had always been um, there in one way or another. I mean, my, um, uh, I, I was lucky enough that my parents weren't kind of anti-comics when, when I was little. So I'd always be bought a, week, uh, a weekly comic. Um, that that was kind of just part of of, of growing up. Now, now the comic itself would 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 change, um, and obviously as I grew, I, I was growing a bit older. I would start to get more kind of um, you know, I'd grow out of the kind of the, the the toddler comics as it were, and go in, into the more traditional British weeklies. Yeah, I think the first thing, the first memory I have of, of getting excited about a comic was actually seeing a, a TV advert, and this would have been in. Um, 1975, 1976, 
for um, the Battle Picture Weekly um, when that first came out, um, right. which was obviously the forerunner to, um, to to action and to Tazadine, all those kind of fun stuff. So I, I saw that on the TV, um, and I'd, I'd never seen a comic advertised on the TV, um, and and it, it looked it looked great. Um, and I, so I remember that that was the the first comic that I specifically asked for, asked to be bought, um, as opposed to having a comic give, given to me. Um, and and it's from that really. I always kind of then always kind of read comics, and and it was always you know in in in, in the seventies and eighties. You know, the early, certainly the early part of the eighties, the weekly comics. Um, so, um, I, I, I mean, I bought Action when that when that first came out, uh, and I remember, I remember that that was that was a regular comic that I bought that I bought um, until um, until it was until it was cancelled, um, and then um, two thousand AD, I, I bought that when that first came out. I remember buying that when it first came out. So, so I'd always kind of been kind of familiar with comics, um, and, and as I and as I grew up, kind of. I, I took the comics with me, really. I didn't kind of put them down. Um, and I, I, I guess it was lucky in a way because I was at the, the, the kind of the age, the generation where as I, as I was hitting my teenage years in the uh, in the 1980s, that's when so many things were happening um, with comics that were really exciting and defined comics, I think, um, for, for, for the next kind of 30, 40 years and still kind of defining it today. So mm-hmm. this, was, this was a time when, when things like Watchmen and the Dark yeah. Knight and all those kind of things, all those can th- things started happening, and suddenly there was there was this kind of shift from uh, comics as being something which were, I guess, a little bit nerdy, uh, to something which was, you know, were, were kind of suddenly people wanted to read, yeah, um, yeah. and 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 I just followed that and I just carried on reading them, and of course by the time I was, um, you know, fourteen, fifteen, I was um, I was just obsessed with with, with, with comics, you know. Um, I, I'd started buying um, American comics by then, uh, as well as some, as well as uh, the, the weekly titles. Um, I, and I, I was discovering kind of fandom um, and um, fanzines and that kind of stuff, and starting to make those kind of uh, connections with with, uh, with other like-minded people um, across the UK who also were into comics. Of course, this was this was you know the pre-internet day, so yeah, yeah. so it was all to do with kind of actual writing letters and stuff. And posted them with stamps, you know. It, it, it seems it seems so such a distant age now, but that that Different was it, it was such a kind of um, I, I guess a, a a breeding ground for for, um, for for people who who are now involved with comics um, in, in a much more kind of um, you know intense um, capacity. Um, so that that was really uh, you know what it was. So I, I mean, I, and I've travelled all around the world. Um, and wherever I've gone, the comics have uh, comics have been with me. So, in all the things I've done, the comics have been constant. It's been the constant thing that that really kind of almost defines me in my life. Um, yeah. That that that's where that's what my comics history is. And and I guess it really kind of the the, the kind of the passion um, became an obsession, yeah. uh, and the obsession then turned into um, what what became Time Bomb. Um, because um, it was only because I was so invested in, in comics as a whole and so excited about comics as a whole and just wanted to be part of, of, of comics that Time Bomb first came about um, in 2007. So um, that's really my, my, my kind of um, early history of how I got into, into the whole kind of area of comics and, and all the great things that, that they can do and, and what they're about. Yeah, I mean, 
I've talked previously on other podcasts about that that kind of period that you touched on in the eighties, that you know, around about eighty six onwards, where comics really became something else, didn't they? They kind of progressed to a different level of um, not just popularity, but I think art form as well. You know, they they, they were taken more seriously and. They, they did reach a wider audience, but you look at the number of people who were influenced by the stuff that went on, you know, from Dark Knight, Watchmen, all those kinds of big titles. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, you think about it, we were so lucky, I think, personally, to have been around to see that golden period of, of comics. I think, you know, I, I always look back on that really fondly. Yeah, that's right. And it was, it was, it was a really kind of... Um... I don't know, almost a bit of a surreal time to, to be going through because I, I think there, there were there were a couple of things which really kind of um, changed things there. First of all, there were there were the comics themselves, so that that moving into the more kind of you know mature kind of comics, that kind of thing, and, mm. and comics being presented as directly aimed at kind of um, grown-up fans. Um, with, with all the kind of the prestige format and, and, and the themes and, and the whole indie, indie explosion that was happening. But at the same time, outside of comics, it, it, it was, you know, it, in 1980, I think it was 87, it was the um, the Tim Burton Batman movie. And that yeah. had a huge, huge influence. I, I mean, they'd been kind of superhero movies before. Um, I mean, but really most of them, apart from things like maybe Superman, Superman 2, most of them, not, nothing really to shout about. Um, but suddenly the the... the you know, the Tim Burton Batman movie really kind of pushed um, the whole kind of idea of superheroes and, and, and of course, the comics that come with them to the forefront. Um, and 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 the and the um, the months that you know the Tim Burton movie was was about to come out and the months thereafter, the bat symbol was everywhere. I mean, you know, they were in in all kinds of shops and 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 you know, in sort of ladies' fashion shops and. You know, obviously the record shops and yep. everywhere there seemed to be the bat symbol it just became such a kind of a cultural phenomenon now it didn't really kind of have much impact long-term impact on on on, 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 the, on the comics side of things um you know i, I remember at the time that you know that i, I think i might into an article i think it was a fantasy advertiser one of those, those kind of kind of mm. pro pro magazines that um there wasn't really. It didn't mean all these people going to the cinema to watch Batman didn't really equate to um, people suddenly buying comics in, in in their their thousands. But it just it just seemed to be a bit of a shift, and I think yeah. that kind yeah. of shift is something which which which, which then continued. Um, and and it's I think it started a period where where comics were, were, were suddenly almost a kind of kind of an acceptance of comics. Yeah. So it, it became something where you would start to notice people openly reading comics, um, say on the bus or something. Uh, whereas before they they would they would read them, but they maybe they they'd be hidden behind a behind a newspaper or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it just be, it became something where people were, were, were I mean, what, what I remember people more kind of open about the fact that they they liked comics and they were interested in comics and they read comics and of course wanted to create comics it, it became it became a thing and i think that's 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 continued um right through to now there's a sense now that um many more people now uh, are into comics or or kind of um have a if, if they don't read comics themselves certainly have a kind of an acceptance of comics um that, that that didn't exist before um you know when you're going back to the the, the 70s and and the early 80s. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that summer you talk about was, uh, I remember it well, actually. It was 1989. It was the year of the bat. Cause oh, it was 1989. I, I've never been so excited in all my life to see a film, you know, because I'm a huge Batmark anyway. I love Batman. And I was just so excited to, to see that film. And I can remember queuing with my mate for hours to just get in. And that was back when the cinemas were kind of like flea pits. And, you know, it, it was so full. There were people just sat all up the stairways and everywhere, you know, then fire marshals would have had a bloody field day. Um, but yeah, and, and you're right. It did for a small time. It was everywhere, wasn't it? And it really pushed the whole, I think comics being acceptable. You're exactly right. You know, and then famous people, you know, I remember Jonathan Ross would be on TV talking about comics and, and doing shows, but it, it just became like um, acceptable, you know, after all those years of, you'd be embarrassed to be seen reading comics or telling people you were a comics fan. And then it became almost like fashionable, didn't it? For a while, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think some of that's carried on. I mean, there is less stigma around comics. I feel now than there used to be when, when I was younger and obviously when you were younger, um, I mean, we still get it off the, you know, there's, there's still that ignorant quarter that see it as, as childlike and, and all the rest of it. But, I think it is it is still recognised um, and accepted more, thankfully, um, which is why you know we we keep bringing people into the fold, as it were, don't we? You know. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, what's what's been great to see, um, in, just in 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 the in the, um, the the time that I've been I've been producing comics through Time Bomb, is is the amount of new creators that have come in. Yeah. And, and and that's that's been that's really heartening every you know all, all the time. I mean, one of the things obviously has been difficult topics has been the conventions. Um, but one of the nice things about going to conventions was actually seeing the you know the new creators. And what was interesting in to, in, in to see that when, when I first kind of um, started um, publishing in two thousand seven, um, I mean it was I mean there, there was a, you know a nice mix of creators, but it was still. For the most part, a bit a bit of a boys' club. You know, you, the majority of the creators you would you would see at shows were, were still kind of the same. Um, yeah. But but that's kind of changed, and and that's kind of great to see now. You see, you see, much more kind of um, women creators, and 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 it's just that general genuine diversity of creative talent now. Um, and obviously that leads to to a genuine diversity of of, of comics that are being produced yeah. such a good thing to kind of see that and actually and actually have seen that kind of shift happen and it seems to be continuing um and i hope it does because i think that that's the thing that that you know people have often kind of mentioned um in the power of comics they are they're dying they no they're not they're just changing they're evolving and and there's people now that are doing stuff and coming on board that they're doing stuff with comics and, and, and they're using platforms to kind of tell their stories that you know, were unheard of kind of 50, 20 years ago. Uh, and that's that's how comics continue to change and continue to evolve and continue to grow. And it's great to kind of um, see that happening and and in some small way be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. No, good stuff. So let's let's talk a bit more about Time Bomb comics then. So, you know, obviously there's a, there's a considerable leap between being a comics fan and wanting to actually publish comics, you know, I mean, I can imagine that you were a, a, a comics creator, you wanted to create things and tell you stories, but was it driven by the fact that you had stories to tell or was it, was it more that you wanted to have 
um, the ability to publish a range of different types of work from different people? I mean, it was, it was a, a couple of things, really. I mean, I, I'd been creating comics, or well, writing comics, um, since, since the 80s, um, in one way or another. I mean, I got my first professional sale in 1981. Um, so um, I'd, I'd been kind of doing stuff here and there. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I had a, I was, I ended up kind of working abroad. And um, because I was, I ended up working abroad then for about 13 years. Um, and because of that, I, that, kind of the creative side kind of fell down the, to the wayside. I was still kind of um, into comics all that time. I was still reading comics and still enjoyed them. Um, but I hadn't actually kind of produced anything for, for many years. And um, in, in 2006, I, um, I ended up um, going to um, a convention in Birmingham um, at a place called the Custom Factory. Now, right. the first comics convention I'd been to for, for, for years, uh, I think the last comics convention I'd been to was was it was in the um, the early 90s, in one of the kind of the, the annual London shows that we used to have. Um, and it's just circumstance, really. I, I just I completely drifted away from the, the, the comic cons as well. So I, I, I saw an opportunity to go there. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll go there. I haven't been there for years. Um, and I thought, I thought it'd be very similar to what I remembered. Um, you know, loads and loads of kind of guys selling back issues. Um, one or two people selling kind of um, handmade kind of photocopy kind of self-published comics. So I went there. Um, and the thing that really struck me, it really hit me, was how things had changed to what I remember. Because instead of, of all these guys... Who, who produce who were producing comics that were so obviously kind of I guess homemade for want of a better word and self published. Um, there were so many kind of creators there who who were producing their own comics, but they just you know they they, they just could stand alongside um, you know any comic that you'd see in comic yeah. shops. You know in terms of both the production values and and, and, the, and the content. Um, it was it was just a really inspiring kind of um, show to visit. Um, so I, so I, I spent most of my time just chatting to the the creators and, and buying buying their comics. So um, I came away with with um, just an armful of stuff. Um, and the guys from you know, who were kind of publishing comics at, at the time. So I mean, Accent UK were there, and uh, people like Andy Winter were there. Um, I think um, you know there's a few. I think um, Selena. Uh, and, and Selena Lock and, and, and Jay Eels were there, um, who 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 done comics. They were doing producing comics a lot in in the um, in the late nineties, I think, and early early noughties. Um, but the thing that I also came away with was just that desire yeah. to go to be back at that show one year later, mm. but with a comic I'd produced myself. Yeah. I want. I thought this is great. I want to be part of this, and it it really was. It really just kind of fired up this spark in me, the creative kind of spark. It just kind of boof. It was there again. So I, that's what I did. I spent the next kind of um few months kind of pulling um pulling um something together, um pulling a comic together, and then came up with Time Bomb, um just to see just to give it a go. And to be perfectly honest, it wasn't about. I mean, I, there was no kind of initial, you know, right at the start, there was no intent to kind of, you know, produce this, you know, be the be part of this massive, uh, some kind of publishing empire and this, that. All I wanted to do was do something and just give it yeah. a go. Because I always think there's nothing wrong with trying something and giving something a shot. 
And if, and if, it, if it fails, then that's fine. At least you've had a go. Rather than be, be kind of one of these people that always thinks, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. Uh, and then at some point, you'll get to the point where you won't be able to do it. Um, and it, it'll always be a regret. So I always think um, um, noble failure is, is better than, um, than not trying it in any way, shape or form. So that was the idea. Really. So I thought I'd produce something and just give it a go and see what it was like. Um, but it, it, it was the start, really. Um, luckily, I mean, you know, the, I went to the table and first time behind the table and the, the comic I produced, it was it was nicely received, really, but considering what, what it was. Um, I, and that really started the ball rolling. And from that, everything kind of went from there. And then, then the realisation, OK, yeah, I get that what this is about. I'd like to carry on doing this. I'd like to do something else. I'd like to see where it goes. And then it was the start of trying to build something which um, was producing the kind of comics which, if I saw um, on a, on a, a, at a convention somewhere, I personally would, would be interested in buying. I'd go and buy them. I'd be interested in those kind of comics. So it was really how it, the whole thing was trying to do stuff which I thought what I would like and I would enjoy. Um, and then starting to then bring in other creators um, to the fold as well. Uh, and then slowly kind of trying to build up um, a brand, really, that, that, that you know, I, I, would, I could use to, um, to, to funnel my, my, some of my own creative work through, but also, more importantly, funnel the work of other creators through. Yeah. Um, and and that's, where, that's where we are now with it, really, in yeah. the terms of, I mean, I still do, um, I still create comics um, for top, the publisher Time Bomb, but also, I mean, you know, about, about I think 50, 60% of our output now is now um, other creators, um, which is great. So, and and that's, that's continuing to build as well. So over the next couple of years, I, I kind of see that, the, the, you know, the, the output from me as, as, a, as a percentage of, of what Time Bomb produces kind of, kind of becoming smaller and smaller um, because there's so many other great creators that um, I'm happy to um, to invest in and give my time to and 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 support their work through through time on, which is great. Yeah, I mean it's an incredible um, imprint. And the one thing with all your books is that they look so delicious. If if that's the word I can use, you know they're beautifully put together. And they, although the styles vary, they're just always gorgeous to look at. So do you have quite a strict? kind of submissions process do you look for a particular type of work or or how does that work steve well we have an open submissions process so anyone can actually um, right submit stuff to us but um it has to be something which um i feel is um something i want to get behind um i mean i mean the best the best way to describe it is that um, more by accident than design, our, our, our kind of books of tend, to, you know, the range we have and the style of books we use tend to be of a certain kind of type and style. And so someone someone described them to me as, as being quite um, British in how in how they in how they are. Um, so I guess there's, there's, there's that kind kind of um, kind of. But really, what it is, it's about if, if I get a pitch through, and um, I want to read it, then that's, that, that's, that'd be my interest. Um, I, I mean, there's so many creators around and we get so many submissions through, but most of them aren't, aren't really suitable because it's not the type of comics that we publish. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, we don't do kind of um, Batman, Spider-Man rip-offs, hero stuff. We're just mm-hmm. not interested in that kind of stuff. Likewise, we, we, we don't do, you know, um, stuff which is perhaps be more suitable for being published by creators like self-made comics or, 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 or Nobrow. You know, we don't do that kind of kind of type of type of comic. But if something comes in and, and I like the look of it, um, I will always kind of follow it up. But um, it, it, it's just really having having a, a range of titles, which I which I think um, will are actually really good to read because one of the kind of one of the strap lines we have with Tom is, is, is the thing the telling great stories kind of strap line and that kind of sums it really well because that's what it's all about you know if you read it and you think yeah that was great enjoyed that 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 is really the tick box um mm. that I'm looking for um we've tended to kind of do, do kind of historical stuff um a, a lot a lot of that is driven by my own interest in, in, in history. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, it's also been great to bring other kind of stuff on board, which um, in the past I've really, really warmed to. And I've been in, in a nice position then to be able to present. I mean, a good example is the Harker series that we're, that yeah. we're, that we're bringing out. Um, I, mean, I mean, the original Harker series was a, was a 12-issue black and white a self-published series that came out i think it was 2007 to 2009 um something like that and um i thought it was great i thought it was absolutely fantastic um and and the, the opportunity to be able to present that again but uh, in, in a, like a like an enhanced version and with then moving to kind of um brand new stories featuring the characters i think i mean i jumped at that 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 mm. was that was great um and and something like harker really fits time bomb uh and the kind of stuff we're trying to do um and essentially you mentioned about how they look because i think i think the thing is right from the start the production values have been really important yeah but the very first comic that, that i produced the one shot um the actual comic itself was terrible <laughs> i mean you know I, you know at the time i thought i thought it was the cat's pajamas yeah yeah but really it was like you know look back at it now and it's kind of like Cringe, you know. I mean, it was it was lettered in Comic Sans for goodness sake. You know, it was it was really was kind of a, uh, a horror show, but it was beautifully printed and pre- printed and presented. So right from the start, production values have been there. I think that's a really key thing because if if, if you want to kind of produce something which, um, you know, you want people to kind of um, know, keep and read and enjoy, um, and you want to be proud of yourself. I mean, you know, it needs to look. You know, you need to put some effort, I think, into yeah, yeah. into the format and getting the format right. Yeah. Um, so I think I think you know, all, of all, I mean, every book that I think a time bomb has, has produced, I think over the years now we've done about thirty-seven titles in total. Wow. Um, every one of them, the production values has been terrific. Um, you know, that that's been the consistent thing, and I think. As well, at the same time, as you said, it kind of it kind of um, provides almost like um, a, a kind of an assurance that people kind of know that they're going to get a, a package which which is which is a decent sized package which which looks good and it's nicely printed and it's on great quality paper and then hopefully as well the story they read that's presented in that way will be as equally rewarding. Yeah, I mean, I love looking at your store whenever we are we do meet up at conventions because it's just. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful sea of work in front of you. And it, it always, like, I don't know, it just always makes me smile when I look at it because 
everything just looks so good on there, mate. Honestly, it's like, you know, and this is the thing, and I know production values today are probably more affordable than they were when you started in 2007, to be fair, you know, with the, the kind of rise of digital printing and stuff. But your books look, you know, you you could you could see your books in Waterstones and they wouldn't look out of place. Do you know what I mean? They're so beautifully done. And if anybody hasn't ever seen, obviously, Steve's work, the Time Bomb comics, and well, the more kind of one-shots and graphic novels, really, aren't they, that you produce, um, you should check them out because you, you're in for a treat because they're absolutely stunning, stunning stuff. Well, thanks. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about, you know, you really, I suppose your flagship title is, is Flintlock, isn't it? You know, or would you, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but I think that's... Uh, yeah, I think it has been become a flagship title, and I'm I'm really proud of Flintlock, and, and uh, I'll I, be honest, the fact that it's become so popular, um, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm a bit overwhelmed with, really, because um, I, it's kind of nice that um, the Flintlock book is the flagship, because it's written by me, um, and I, I write all the stories in it, so it, it, it is kind of. I do get a buzz by the fact that people really, really kind of are warm to it. Um, I think Flintlock, in many ways, kind of almost kind of defined Time Bomb and who who we are now. In many ways, right. I, I think you know if you look at the stuff we produced over the years, um, I think you know from from between say two two thousand and twelve, two thousand and fourteen. I think it, it was a little bit confusing what we were trying to what I was trying to do. I think what I was trying to do was was trying to really kind of identify who we were. Yeah. So I was putting out some some you know titles and and, and back in those days I was putting out one title a year. Um, and I think you know I was trying to find something which which um, I felt really worked for, for for Time Bomb. And I think I think you know the 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 sea change came with. Um, the the, the the original uh, version of Defiant, which was the the, the Viking story that we that we put out, which was by um written by Andy Winter and and by Daniel Bell, the artist, which is a a really lovely it's a lovely kind of um you know complete graphic novel based on a true story of of um a Viking um the Vikings fighting the the Anglo Saxons, um and 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 from that. Um, that, that seemed to be, be be the shift in how how Time Bomb um, evolved, and, and Flintlock really came from the first show where um, I had I had um, where I launched Defiant, um, which is what which is one of the London shows, and um, it, it was a, it was a, it was a great weekend, good show, but I hadn't um, created any, I hadn't written any comics for Time Bomb at that point for about four years. Um, maybe a bit longer, and um, I, I remember I was kind of going around the show, and I was collared by um, Jasper Bark, who's who's a, who's a, who's also a writer. He, he tends to write horror stuff. He, right. He's a he's a lovely guy. As, as usual with people who do write horror, they're actually really nice people. You know, when they come up with this, this this you know the stuff that comes out from from their, their heads is just horrific. But they're, they're, they're real they're lovely people. And he kind of like, um, he took me to task a bit, really, in such a nice way. But effectively, he said, you know, why aren't you why aren't you um, writing comics anymore? Why aren't you doing stuff anymore through Time Bomb? And he said, I know you're publishing other people's stuff, which is great, but why aren't you doing anything yourself? And, and it was a bit of a telling off. And I, I kind of kind of took it to heart. Actually, yeah, he's, he's probably right. And um, 
and not probably is right. And then at that same show, I was kind of walking around and I was kind of seeing all these kind of um, all all this. I don't know, the way that all these female comic characters were being presented at this show. Mm. And I just thought, well, I mean, it's, it's all just kind of, it's all like 14-year-old boy fantasy stuff. Yeah. Um, and, 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 I, and I could see all these, you know, I was conscious of all these these new kind of um, range of creators coming in, including including female creators. And, of course, female readers as well. So, you know, you certainly notice more female readers at shows, female fans. And I was thinking, well, what, what do they what do they read? Because there's all this stuff and, you know, it, it's just aimed at, I don't, I'm not quite sure who's aimed at really. Mm. But I thought, well, it'd be nice to do something which I want to write historically, like, which is his, the historical series. And I thought, well, it'd be really nice to actually do something that featured um, female characters, but presented as as proper female characters. So, so a real pushback against that over-sexualized way that a lot of the time female char- lead characters are presented in 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 traditional kind of mainstream kind of comics. Um, and thinking about, I was then thinking about the um, the weekly comics that, which were published in the sixties and seventies, especially the girls' comics, and they also they all had really um, great adventure stories in them. And of course, you know, they all featured kind of these really kind of um, strong female leads um, because the, 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 the stories were aimed at, you know, uh, a teenage or, you know, um, a, a younger female market. And I thought it'd be great to do something like that. And that's really where, where, where Flintlock came from. It was the desire to kind of write something that was historical and really set in the 18th century because that's, that's the period I'm really excited about. Uh, yeah. You know, I just love that period of history, but also then something which could actually utilize these these kind of female characters and, and tell adventure stories featuring women in a way that I wanted to tell them, uh, in a way that I thought would be a refreshing change from that kind of just you know kids out kind of presentation that I'd, that I'd seen. Mm. Um, so that's where Flintlock came from, and I'd be perfectly honest, I, I, I you know when when the book one uh, came out. I was really quite nervous about it because I, I was thinking, well, is it too niche? Because really, is, is you know, a, a comic is just entirely set in the 18th century, and it's all it's all research, and it uses the actual, um, you know, the way they speak at the time and, and the, yeah. the slang, and there's no kind of um, there's no translation. We don't explain what the slang is. It's just there, and and you know you're just along for the ride, um, and f- again, f- and also then featuring women in this way, how would it be received? Um, so when book one came out, I wasn't really sure if there would ever be a book a book two. Um, so much so in 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 a way that you know if anyone reads the first Lady Flintlock story from, from book one, although it say and it says to be continued on the last page. Um, that to be continued was really added quite late. It, it, for, for a while, it said the end, uh, and the way the story was structured, it, that it, it, if, if you know, if another Flintlock book never appeared, it would st- it would stand up as a, right. as, a as a standalone title. Yeah, uh, I was that kind of nervous and twitchy about it, um, but as it was, it did seem to find an audience, which I was delighted with, and it's, it's you know that audience has, has kind of built. Uh, um, every year, um, and now there's you know we got um, we got five books out, 
which which I think, really, in retrospect, is just an astonishing thing. The fact I've got five books out in this series, um, and and the sixth one is is due out next year. Brilliant. I mean, what's been really heartening about it is the response is is gotten from people, um, especially kind of women, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. That, yeah, has, yeah. that has been that has been great. That has been such a delight to kind of have kind of women kind of um, read the book and then come back and let me know that they really enjoyed it. They love the way how the characters are presented. Um, you know, they love the, 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 the a word they keep using is refreshing. And I think that's a lovely kind of word to use. Um, and it's been great. And at the same time, there seems to be the traditional um, audience who reads comics, who are predominantly male, who also seem to kind of like like it as well because they, they like the way you know that kind of traditional kind of swashbuckling adventure style stories. Yeah. So it just seems to have. Um, I don't know. It's just it seems to really hit the sweet spot for me creatively. Um, I, I, I love I love writing writing the stories. I mean, each book takes a long time to do. It, it takes me a good it takes me a good six months to kind of um, to write each each book because a lot of it is is, um, is research. Um, I mean, I've, I've got so many books now on 18th century history. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but um, you know that's part of the. That's part of the thrill of it for me. Is, yeah. Um, and yeah, then yeah. to see these characters, you know, being warmly appreciated. And, even, you know, and cosplayers. I think, you know, I've had cosplayers turning up as the characters. That's mind-blowing. I mean, really, it's honestly mind-blowing to see someone come across your show and they, they've spent all that, all, you know, so much effort and time just recreating um, a character that you've created and only existed on, on, on the printed page. And there they are, stood in front of you. It's great. Um, so yeah, Flintlock has, has become a real kind of um. It's, it's become the flagship of Time Bomb. But I think you know, I, I, sometimes I, I pinch myself up that it is because um, you know, it shouldn't really um, because there's so many other stuff that, that Time Bomb publishes, which, which features creators much more accomplished than I am. Um, and that kind of links into Brawler because um, Brawler has is, is become a really strong. Uh, title as well. I mean, if 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 Flintlock is, is is you know a flagship, then um, Brawler is 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 the destroyer coming close behind with all guns blazing, um, because um, that seems to have really kind of found an audience as well. Um, and the idea behind Brawler was is, is quite simple really. The, the the original idea was the fact that um, it came from Jason Cobley, and it was one of these things that yeah, I think you mentioned it was on mentioned on Facebook. Oh, it's a shame there's not a comic like Warrior. Out, oh. out these days now. Um, for people who, who don't remember Warrior, it, it was a, it was a short-lived black and white, and it featured um, you know a lot. You know, it's where people like Alan Moore and first first really started cutting their teeth. So you know, uh, stories like V for Vendetta and uh, and uh, Marvel Man and those kind of things. That's where they first appeared. Um, and uh, Warrior didn't 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 last for long, um, but it burned brightly while it did last. Mm. Um, and it's really fondly remembered. And the idea was to kind of use that kind of not not to kind of try and recreate Warrior, because Warrior was an original; it can never be re- recreated. And it wasn't a copy either. And um, it was to do that kind of um, the thing which Warrior had was that all the stories had these really strong lead characters. So if if you look if you read through an issue of, of Warrior, any of those characters could be the lead story. Yeah. Um, they were all really strong stories. So the idea was with with Brawler to, to capture that same kind of kind of feel. Yeah. So 
all the all the all the the the, 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 the stories in in brawler one of the things that, that that had to be they couldn't be just like you know done in one short story type you know uh, future shock type things they had to have a defined lead who could potentially uh, appear in future stories oh, yeah. but also in in that issue of brawler be the lead character for for that title um and, and i think that that's um you know that that's worked quite nice i think and it means we, we've got such a little range of stories in there but all of them have will have a strong lead um and again, with Border, that just seemed to find an audience. People seem to really like it. I think it helped that so many kind of creators involved with it. So there's so much kind of, um, you know, great work in there. And as with any anthology series, probably not every single story will will will, will tick someone's personal box. But there's certainly, you know, um, it seems to be that most of the stuff that's in there appeals appeals to people. And it's kind of nice that, you know, the feedback that I, I get about Border is that each of the different stories is somebody's favourite. Yeah. So so when, when you have that, you kind of know you've got the got the balance right. Um, so, yeah, so Brawler's been, been a great one. At the moment, we're kind of um, putting together Brawler 3, which um, hopefully will be out early part and very early next year. But it's, um you know, it, it seems to have kind of, um again, that's one that seems to have really, really found an audience. Um, so, yeah, so I think those two titles. At the same time, I think Harker, is is a bit of a sleeping beast as well. I think one once you know a few more books of Harker released and people start realizing how utterly brilliant that is. I think that could well be one which um you know people will, will get will get a lot more excited about as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, I mean, you, you, your range of titles is brilliant, but I mean, one of my favorites is is definitely Brawler. I mean, it really struck a note. I mean, like you, I absolutely adored Warrior magazine as a kid and. It's funny enough during lockdown, I've managed to fill all the gaps of, of um, the few issues I was missing. So, but I've said to people that you know, if you if you never experienced Warrior um, when it came out, and if ever you wanted a masterclass of how to produce black and white sequential art for comics, it, it's just pick up a copy of Warrior because yeah. it's just wonderful, wonderful stuff, isn't it? You know, I mean, you know, as you, as you say, you know, there was things like you know. Leave a Vendetta right through to Axel Press Button by, you know, Steve Dillon. And, oh, God, it was brilliant. And that's what appealed to me with Brawler because I did notice that um, the cover it just reminded me of this, the way it was laid out. And, and you know, the, it just, just had that sense of warrior. Um, and and I had to back it immediately, you know. <laughs> I mean, for issue one, obviously, was it Staz Johnson did the, yeah, the yeah. dinosaur? Got on a beautiful, beautiful cover as well, but... And I'm just looking at issue two and, you know, for people listening to this, how can you resist a comic that's got eight super strips featuring demons, monsters, samurai, warriors and pandas? Do you know what I mean? It's like, if that doesn't sell it, <laughs> you're in the wrong game. But beautiful work. Mate. And, and again, such a lovely anthology as well. I mean, even though the styles are very different in there, it really works as a as a whole, a bit like Warrior did, you know, very different styles, but as a package, it's, it's tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Thank you. And I'm pleased that you picked up on the actual design as well, because the cover design, you know, the whole, you know, that kind of, it, it homages Warrior. That, yeah. It was entirely the point. We kind of, you know, it, it was very much, okay, we, we kind of, we, we don't want to copy Warrior, but it's more, it's, we're inspired by it. Um, so, you know, we wanted to kind of have that kind of sense of, 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 of the Warriors layout and design on our cover. 
Um, yeah. And what's been quite interesting is that there's been a couple of anthologies come out since who've kind of done that similar similar thing as well. I think that's great. I think it's great. I think one of the mm. things that's been really nice since since Brawler came out is that there's been this kind of like little surge of anthologies coming out. And I think that's great because I personally love anthologies. Yeah, I think they're great because you know there's such a mixed bag, and, and you know there's always come something there which which is really enjoyable. It's great to see so many of these other anthologies being produced as well, and, and more more coming out. I think it's I think it's a great format. I think it's brilliant. Um, we, we I mean we can't go back to the, to the weekly anthology comics that I remember in the sixties and seventies. That time has passed. But what we can have, we can have these wonderful indie anthologies coming out. Uh, I think I think that's such a great thing to see. Yeah, yeah, and as you say, it's a great um, it's a great jumping on point for a lot of people with comics as well, isn't it? Because you know, as you pointed out, you know, some people may say, I, "This was my favourite strip," or "That was my favourite strip." But if there's something in there that appeals to someone, hopefully that's that hook that I had and you had, where you saw a particular comic or a strip, or it could have been the writing or the art, but something drew you into the you know, this murky world of comics that we <laughs> we swim around in, you know, and you need that hook and anthologies are a great thing for that. You know, if you can pass that around and five people can all see something different that appeals to them, potentially you've got five new comics readers, you know. Yeah, but I mean, personally, as a publisher, I'd rather five people bought them separately, but they, I, I see your point. But, um, <laughs> but, the, but at the same time, the other great thing about anthologies as well, they're really good for um, new creators. Because the anthology format is, is just a brilliant way to kind of start creating comics yeah. and kind of learning how to produce comics yourself. Because, um, you know, there's much more skill involved in producing a really satisfying five or six page short story mm. in comics format than there is in producing some 12 issue maxi series of never ending series yeah, of graphic yeah. novels it really is if you if you can you know certainly as a writer if you can if you can tell a really great um story in just six five or six comic pages then that that's i mean it's such a great kind of learning ground and i think similar for an artist i mean if you're a new artist you know, you're trying to you know be able to to kind of produce five or six pages of comic art is a lot more kind of a, of a realistic goal initially mm. than trying to produce something which which is far more kind of um huge and all encompassing so i think the, the anthologies work in two ways they're great from a reader perspective but they're brilliant from a creator's perspective as well yeah yeah no i completely agree and as a as an artist i've been this year i've been doing um quite a few bits of work for um various anthologies and stuff just to i want to hone that skill a bit more of being able to you know tell a a story over four five six pages because it's a lot more difficult than people think you know it's easier actually to do a comic that could be 24 pages and you've got room to play around with you know the luxury of, of panel design and and storytelling but when you've got to actually condense it it really does make you think about every image that you're putting down and and you know the, the flow of the story and stuff so i think yeah. you're absolutely right and it's the old 2000 ad future shock rule isn't it you know they, they often said that if you can't write a story in four pages then you can't write a story because it, you know you've got to start middle and an end but you've got to really boil it down to the, the pure essence and i just yeah. think that you're right it's a great training ground for people that have maybe listened to this and 
thinking of dipping the toe into to comics it's it's really worth doing it really does bring you along as a creator i found certainly so if we just move on then talk about um on the previous show you were on you obviously discussed things like kickstarter and funding and things like and you you explained that you know you use kickstarter as a distribution model really as a distribution method for getting comics out there and I mean, I know you, you're still doing that. I know you've recently had a really successful. I think was was the last Flintlock the most successful? Oh yeah, you've had? yeah. It, 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 and well done, well deserved it, as well. You know, it was. Um, yeah, I'd love to be able to kind of be able to kind of say with sagely the reasons why it did so well, but I can't. I, can't. I honestly can't. It was it, it completely kind of. I mean, um, it kind of blew out all expectations. It really did. But I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm not going to complain. It's great. Yeah, but again, well deserved though, because you know you've built that following, and and you know the thing I like about Kickstarter, all you know people kind of complain about it sometimes, is that it gives you that reach, doesn't it, that you would never get. You know, when I did um, the second issue of uh, Galaxy Grappling Alliance, about three three quarters of that were shipped to the states. Now, there's no way I would have ever sold any comics in America. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you just don't have that that market, do you? But you know, um, and it's great for you, mate, and it's really well deserved. Now, I, I was over the moon when I saw how well it went. I mean, it didn't surprise me because you know you, you're the king of Kickstarter, aren't you? But you know, you, you absolutely deserve every every sort of um, backer on that, and I, th- I think it's, it's it's wonderful. But do you, do you think there may be any or do you foresee any significant changes with with Kickstarter and possibly the way that works, given obviously the the, the events of the last twelve months or so, and you know with with COVID and lack of. Um, I mean, it's interesting, really, because the you know the last twelve. I mean, I remember back in well, back in February March when it was all kind of announced what was what was happening, and then the lockdowns and stuff. And I think, like myself, like a lot of people, oh my goodness, I thought, I, I, you know. I thought this is going to be a, this is going to be a nightmare. Um, and it actually turned out to be certainly from in terms of producing comics and, and that kind of, and that an audience for comics, not so much of a nightmare, um, to be honest. Um, whether it is because people were kind of just just wanting um, something to kind of um, take their minds away from from, um, from from what was actually going on around them and and to ease the boredom of, of maybe being stuck at home and not being able to go anywhere i i really don't know but um it, although the, the the conventions didn't happen what became apparent i guess within within about a month or even less than that was that things like um you know kickstarter and that stuff they you know the, the wheels weren't coming off the wagon there they, they were still continuing to kind mm. of um do stuff i i know a couple of um uh, creators i think uh I'm time bomb included. We kind of um, delayed um, projects for a, for a couple of months because there was that kind of nervousness. Um, but we yeah, kind yeah. of realised, oh, actually no, we, we we need to kind of get back into this. We need to kind of um, you know start kind of providing, producing comics and get them out there to people who want to read them. Um, so, I mean, Kickstarter became um, more kind of um, powerful, uh, I guess in 20, uh, 2020 um i mean they they i think comics on kickstarter in 2020 were, were the second most um successful kind of area 
um, right. sector and Kickstarter, um, which was great. And so many kind of projects were, were, were coming on there. I, I, I think as well, part of it is because comic shops were closed. So, um, you mm. know, we're looking for alternative means to be able to get to get, to get some comics. Um, so more people seem to be latching on to Kickstarter. At the same time, we, we saw um, many of the more of the big guys coming on board. So obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the Keanu Reeves, Berserker, yeah. probably the, 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 the best example of that. So I think some of the... Um, some of the big boys are kind of starting to kind of notice kickstart and trying to be part of it. Um, and I, I don't think it's a case of, of them muscling in and pushing everyone else out. So I think that the thing is with kickstart and one of the nicest things about it, it is a leveler. Um, it's not like, um, you know, you, you're in the previous catalog or all the big guys are at the front and all the minnows are at the back um, and everyone focuses on the big guys at the front. Um, any project, any project, when when they click the launch button on on Kickstarter, have as much chance to succeed as any other project. Yeah. Obviously, there'll be some factors in that in terms of what the project is, and you know what you know what how how they, how 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 much excitement the actual project itself generates. But in terms of it being a level playing field, you know, um, Keanu Reeves's Kickstarter didn't get any any special treatment um, compared to anybody else's Kickstarter. Um, and I think that's the thing. That's the beauty of, of the platform. So I think it will continue. I think more, 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 um, more big guys will, will try and come on board with it. Mm. Um, I think the challenge is, of course, one of the key things about um, Kickstarter and, and success with Kickstarter is not so much how much you um, you raise and how many how many backers you have, you, how many backers you have during those thirty days your your, your campaign runs. It's how you manage manage it afterwards. Yeah. A, a good example is, is what happened with um, is it is it Maddie maybe? Yeah. And the, and the the creator kind of started kind of um, I don't know, slacking off the the very backers that had supported <laughs> a project in the first place. Yeah. It, it, it's that kind of thing. So when you when you have the kind of the big boys come in, sometimes it's like they don't kind of like um quite understand how to actually deal with it because yeah. they're used to that kind of um send to diamond um on off it goes mentality and not having any kind of connection with 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 the yeah it, i mean there's the, a barrier isn't there between them and their audience with, with any kickstarter project your backers whether you whether you have you know five backers or 500 backers all of them are are, are so important each and every one of them because um and, and they all need to be valued or feel valued um, and and that's an important thing. You should always kind of look after. It. I mean, they're, they're they're the same as um they're, they're the equivalent of what um uh, angels are in the theatre world. You know, these people who are kind of putting their money down, uh, pre- pretty much sight and seen for something mm. which which they want to uh, experience at the end. Um, and you need to deliver on that. And I think that that's going to be uh the real kind of um you know what what makes or breaks anyone that comes into Kickstarter over the next couple of years. I think. Is that you know um, people who come in and then fail to deliver, um, as opposed to the people who who do deliver? It's the people who deliver. They they're the ones that are gonna gonna survive um, yeah. and, and succeed. Um, and but I, I think as a platform, it, it, it's becoming it's becoming more and more um, you know people are, more and more people are taking notice of it, um, which I think is a great thing. I think um, more and more people are switching on to it, which is also great. Yeah, there's going to be people, there's going to be resistance there. There's going to be some people that will never, never back a Kickstarter. Um, 
and but that's fine um you know but, you know it's not for everybody but the people yeah. that are um using kickstarter well um they will continue to do well from it i think yeah and and just i suppose on the slightly more negative side do you, do you feel that there'll be an impact to time bomb what it can deliver because of things like brexit and the issues that i've been talking to creators who are having an absolute nightmare sending stuff to europe uh, you know i mean to the states is fine it's not really changed but you know trying to send a book to germany or france and you know it's, it's ridiculous and is that a market that you you normally work with europe or does it tend to be more kind of british and, and maybe american or whatever well, well, it's an interesting, interesting question. I mean, what, what, for, certainly from my perspective, I mean, since um, Brexit happened, um, Time Bomb has released three, no, four books. Okay, um, and those, those, those books are they're all again, you know, our, our model is is pre-order through Kickstarter. So we've had backers from Europe and 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 and, um, and America and the rest of the world. To be perfectly honest, it's made no difference to me right. in, in how I show things. Um, the only the only difference is that that I, I need to for anything that goes out to Europe and to um, a, anywhere else outside the UK, there's a, a little customs form that you need to stick on the front of the uh, the envelopes and fill it in. Um, I, I think I think the difference is if you're if you're um, sending stuff on bulk, if you're sending stuff bulk, then you have to fill in loads of paperwork. Yeah. Um, but the th- again yeah. is with, with the Kickstarter, not you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, um, you're sending to individuals. Um, so, so sending a you know maybe maybe a package of small package of books to some individuals, you're not sending you know 100 500 copies. I think w- when you start, if, if you're talking about shipping um, internationally in, in in bulk, then it's a different thing. But that's something that that time bomb you know we 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 don't we don't do. We have a the the only people we, we shift to in bulk is is our is our distributor in the UK. Yeah, uh, get my comics. They're the only guys we ship to in bulk, and then then they then forward it on to send it to around the world um so in, in terms of that it hasn't really been a problem to be perfectly it's interesting you mentioned about america because what did make a difference was that the increase in postage costs to america mm. um that was the challenge but again the, the, the way we work around that challenge is switching from airmail to surface mail that was that right. was that was the, that change um but we also then make that clear on our, our um you know on our campaign pages that um, you know, packages to the states will be will be sent surface, um, right. and, and the reason is it keeps costs down, and it, it keeps costs down not for us but for the backers, exactly, because obviously yeah. backs a project from overseas. There's a postage add-on, so if we could minimise the postage add-on, then it's beneficial for them, and and it's been quite interesting really because you know since since we started doing that with surface mail, yeah, packages have taken on average about four four or five weeks um, to reach their, their US destinations rather than maybe 10 days. Um, but, you know, it hasn't made any dent in backer satisfaction. Um, people, are, you know, backers in the States have, have been receiving their packages. Um, and more importantly, they've been, in, they've been um, happy with what they've received and they've enjoyed the books they've been reading. And I think that's, that's the key thing. Yeah. Um, so so yeah so in terms of that it's not really it's not really impacting me um so much um but um i think as well i mean, we're also conscious and, and that with things like the kickstart whenever we do kind of stretch goals or that kind of thing they're always kind of paper based products that we, that we offer we don't 
do t-shirts and key rings yeah. and all and pens because all that kind of stuff suddenly does create that kind of more challenging element now to get yeah, stuff yeah. delivered overseas um so we don't have that we don't do that um we, we tend to have company we will have prints and that kind of, because it's much more straightforward and much more you know sensible to kind of send those things out we don't need to get special envelopes and that kind of thing there's no kind of delays while, while t-shirts are being printed and sourced and this that and the other um so that's how that's how you know time bomb does it so we kind of um we, we kind of try and make things easiest and not more practical all around for everyone's benefit really that's how that's our uh, that's how our approach has been to it but there certainly hasn't been any major kind of um negative aspects of, of, of brexit oh, yeah to, to be fair though postage costs they go up every time you go to the post office don't they seemingly by the time you started your kickstarter and finished it the, the postage has changed and that's that's for here <laughs> brilliant i, I think very often the postage does catch people out on kickstarter yeah and and so so you know my advice would be to anyone that's just doing you know get all your postage costs sorted out first get all those ducks in a line because I, I think if you if you do your if you work your post out, out costs out properly you shouldn't really be burnt too much by your postage on Kickstarter, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, just do some research, mm. you know, don't just, don't just make it up. I think one of the best things to do is that, you know, um, whatever book you're going to produce, package it up beforehand, um, even before it's printed. And, 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 that, that, and what I mean by that is that chances are you will have something on your bookshelf that is the same form of what you're going to be producing on yeah. Kickstarter. Um, or a little bit larger so use that as your as your kind of model and, and package that up how you would send it weigh that package uh find out the exact weight, and then you will be able to get your exact postage cost there shouldn't be any surprise there really should yeah and, and i have noticed though recently there's been a bit of a tendency to uh massively inflate postage costs sometimes with with kickstarters and um and also from i was, I was telling this story a while back about I tried to buy three floppy comics from a quite a famous publisher and they were like $4 each or something, you know, it came to about $15 in total. And I thought, that's great. When I got to the postage, it was $45. <laughs> I was like, no. So I wrote to them because they kept writing saying, you've got things in your basket. And I wrote back going, well, yeah, they'll stay in my basket because I'm not paying three times the amount of cover price just to post them from America. It was absurd. So I don't know whether they were it hiding is. a private I, and I plane. Know, I know postage <laughs> from, from America to here is actually cost more than it does from postage from here to there. Um, it, mm. it, it, it does because the, the US Postal Service charges more. But it's certainly nowhere near no. some of the prices that we see them being no. um, out for. No. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, I, I back a lot of projects on, on Kickstarter mm. myself. I think, I think one of the one of the things about... You know, it's no good kind of doing running campaigns yourself on Kickstarter if you're if you're not going to bother backing anybody else's campaign. Um, so, so I back a lot of projects, but there's a lot of projects, and I will not back them simply because of the postage, and that yeah. applies yeah. to the UK as well. So, if someone if someone is producing some, you know, a five five pound six pound comic, and then they're charging four five pound postage in the UK, I will back it because I know exactly. That how much that comic exactly. will cost to post, um, and and similarly with, with the American ones, you know, um, if something is too hard, I won't. So there's so many kind of projects that I would have backed, but because um, 
the postage um, has been kind of a bit ridiculous, then um, they haven't got my support, you know? Mm. Yeah. No, that's, that's great stuff. Great advice again. Thank you. I've made a note of the surface mail. I'll be looking into that after this show because that, that might save us a few quid. But no, brilliant stuff, Steve. So kind of um, on a similar vein, really, you know, people listen to this because they're quite popular, these self-publishing um, episodes we do because people they like to hear how different people's approaches to self-publishing is and pick up tips and that. So I always ask the same question, which would be, what piece of advice would you give to anyone who's thinking about, you know, launching and self-publishing their own comic or graphic novel or whatever it may be? Well, it's not so much do it as do it properly. Yeah. I think that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the thing, you know. Um, actually, you know, if you want to do it, jump in. Um, but, you know, if you're going to do it, do it properly. Um, so spend some time finding out speaking you know seeing what's out there seeing what other people are doing um and have conversations with them you know reach out to them you know on on, on social media um obviously if if if, we, if the shows were still ringing i'd say you know we'll speak to people at shows hopefully they'll be back mm. this year and you people will be able to do that um but i think one of the things that that's really um admirable about creating indie comics in the uk um is the fact there is this huge community of uh, like-minded creators that are more than happy to provide guidance and advice and support. Yeah. I think that that's such a key part of of the comics community in the UK. It, it, it's you know it it really is, and it's something which you know I became aware of back in two thousand seven, um, and you know I, it, it, embrace that community because mm. you, well, chances are whatever you've encountered. Um, in terms of creating a project, getting it printed, getting it distributed, whatever, someone would have actually experienced that as well and got through it and have some kind of war story to tell that you can actually use and you can listen to. I think that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a great community to be a part of. It's great to produce comics, but spend some time just kind of, um, you know, understanding exactly what you need to do and how you need to do it. And in terms of, 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 of you know, the, the comic itself, um, create what you want to create, mm. but make sure that what you create is is, is something which, at the end of the day, you, you can actually be proud of. Don't yeah. try to cut corners. I think that's the thing as well. I mean, I, I said earlier on that you know that the, the first comic I did was lettered in Comic Sans. I mean that, that you know that's because I had no clue about lettering. Mm. Um, I, I understand lettering now. I I'd ne- obviously I've never ever do that now. Um, but you know. Again, get things like that right. If you don't understand how comic lettering works, don't try and letter it yourself because yeah. you, you won't have, you, you'll make a mess of it unless you spend a few months learning how it works mm. and then you can do it. So, you know, those are the things that you really need to kind of, uh, you know, hone down. And I also kind of say start small. Um, I mean, we touched on, on anthologies earlier on. They're a really great way to kind of start anybody's kind of creative journey as it were i hate the journey but you know i, I mean that kind mm. of when you're starting out and, and you need to get some stuff done and, and practice your skills and, and just build up that little portfolio anthology is such a great way to do that um and you know by, by getting your work into into a few anthologies you'll quickly build up a nice little body of work um yeah. which, which yeah. you can use as part of your portfolio 
So start small. I think that's a really good thing as well, because I think if, if you start and you're, you're going to, you know, you start with the mindset that you're going to create this, you know, multi-book epic, you, 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 you won't. You will, you will fail. Um, you know, start small and then, then build up, um, build your momentum um, and then don't look back. But ultimately as well, the most important thing is enjoy it. You know, mm. always enjoy what you're doing. If, if at any point you're finding it a slog, stop, stop and go and do something else. You know, recharge yeah. your batteries. Yeah. It's like with anything. Don't do it for the sake of doing it. Do it because you want to do it. Um, but just, but really, if you just jump in, you know, there, there's room for, you know, there's room for you. You know, if you want to create comics, there is room for you. Uh, so, so just dive in. Brilliant. That's great stuff, Steve. And um, you're right. You know, there, I've I've said before, there's room for everyone, isn't there? It's a big, big world, comics, and um, you know, the the communities you've said is is incredible. You know, um, people will go out of the way sometimes to give you advice and support. So yeah, absolutely great stuff. So I suppose just coming back to yourself and Time Bomb and and with the light at, hopefully at the end of the tunnel regarding the the current pandemic situation stuff like that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about future projects and um, things that are coming up for yourself? Yeah, sure. We've got, I mean, we've got so much going on. I was thinking about this earlier on today when I was, uh, you know, there's so much happening, which 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 is great. So. So for the, for the next kind of two, three years are already pretty much fully mapped out, which is a great place to be. Um, I mean, the most immediate thing that's coming out, I mean, this this Friday, um, 30th, we've got um, the, the Kickstarter pre-launch for um, Harker, the Book of Solomon, part two. We, 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 part one came out um, in um, September last year, um, and then we're bringing out the, the, the second concluding part. Um, so that 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 goes live on uh, Friday morning. That will run through through May, uh, finishing on the first of June. And then it, it's it's a terrific it's a terrific book. I mean, part one is, is is was was a great, really well received. I'm hoping part two will be um, well received as well. So that yeah. that that's the most immediate thing. So uh, so this week I've been I've just been finishing up uh, little bits and pieces to be uh, ready for the for the launch on on, on Friday morning. Beyond that, we've got um, obviously. I mean, the, I mean, Flintlock, Flintlock Book Six coming out um, next year. So I've already written the um, the, the script for Lady Flintlock, and that's with mm. Gareth Slatehome, the artist. Um, mm. So, and that's that's kind of that's the concluding part of the Lady Flintlock story, really. So um, that was quite um, yeah, that was quite an emotional one to do. To be perfectly honest, when you know for various reasons, it'll be. Probably more evident when it when it yeah. finally comes out. Um, so that's underway, and obviously I'm starting to research the background for some of the other stories that will be in book six. Um, we've got more Dick Turpin coming out. Should be this year. We've got Dick Turpin and the Crimson Plague coming out, um, and this is I mean back in I think 2010, uh, Dick Turpin and the Crimson Plague came out as a, a black and white one shot. So what we're doing, we've got it um, coloured. Um, because um, we, we brought Dick Turpin back last year, we wanted to, do, to do, you know keep him keep him that series yeah. going this year. So we're bringing that um, original one. We're getting it recolored, um, having a new story in there and some extra bits and pieces in there. Um, so that should be this year as well. Um, we've also then got um, well starting to put the things in place for Broader Three. Uh, we've got a steampunk news new book coming out uh, called Fox Glove. 
that should be out in uh, in in the to, right at the end of the summer. So we're thinking that'll be late August, uh, maybe even be early September. So we've got that in hand. We've got the third book of the um, in the Bomb Scares horror anthologies. Um, that's due to be out this year as well. I've just signed up a colorist to um, do some coloring work on a um, original graphic novel that's due out in the first half of next year, early next year. Um, that's called What Under the Snow, which is a science fiction horror story set on the Russian front okay. in World War II. So that's coming together quite nicely. All, all the line art is done. Um, it's just a case of, of, of it being coloured now. So that's underway as well. Once we got this Harker book out, we've got then the next Harker book, um, which is part one of Black Hound. Um, that should be out, well, probably being trailed right. right by the end of this year. Um, Vincent and Roger, who who, uh, who were the creators of Harker, are also producing a series for us called Mad Girl. Um, and uh, when, when that's um, ready, that's going to start being released as well. I've also got, there's a couple of other things as well that have just kind of um, solidified over the, literally over the last kind of 48 hours. Um, they're pretty exciting. Um, it's at that stage yeah. yet where I can't talk too much about it, but they are pretty exciting and I'm looking forward to um, being able to reveal what they are. But one of them, um, all I can say about one of them, it, it's, 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 a, it's a licensed property, which everyone in, Pretty much everyone will have heard of, Ooh. and I can't really say more than that. Brilliant! But you know, some exciting things happen over over the rest of the year. Super, mate. I mean, that's a that's a slate enough, that isn't it? I mean, normally, you know, people go, "Well, I've got this coming out, and that's it, really." But <laughs> that's incredible, mate. Brilliant stuff. Really, I told you we're a machine, didn't I? It's been, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's been so busy. It's, what's, what's been really? I mean, this thing again. You know, we, we, I was expecting everything to just grind to a halt. Um, last year um about this time last year i really was and in the end it kind of became so busy I, i'm i guess in part it's because you know we people were at home and there were no shows so mm. we concentrated on on creating the comics because that, that's that's all that was left to do really <laughs> um part of it is because we built up such a kind of um a head of steam um that then we've got all this stuff um and the only thing i was, I was thinking about as well was that Hopefully the shows will be back. I'm hoping that you know things like Thought Bubble will happen. Mm. I'm just thinking, how, how am I going to fit stuff on the table? I know. I've got all this stuff. I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do about fitting it on the table. Um, to give it all, all, the, all the, you know, give it all the chance for people to see it. Fantastic. So, I don't know. It's a nice problem to have, though, mate. <laughs> and it, it, and I've said said before, but honestly, if you've never seen the work that Steve produces on the Time Bomb, then you you're in for a real treat. You you really are. I mean, it's it's beautifully packaged and put together and they're, they're just they're just brilliant stuff there's some there is literally something for everyone i think at your table so great stuff um so obviously you know i'm conscious of time and you, you've given up your time to do the show but do you want to give people an idea where they can find you you know where links on social media more importantly where they can buy your fine products oh yeah sure thank you so um timebombcomics.com is the ubiquitous website um so um you you can buy all our, our stuff on our store on there you also sign up through that to kind of to receive a, a monthly um update as, as to what we're doing through email um on on social media you can find us uh time bomb comics you, you can find a group on, on social media uh at time bomb comics is, is our twitter um as well um 
so people can, people can easily find us through social media. And to, to be perfectly honest as well, people can also easily find me on social media. So anyone wants to kind of link in with, link with me uh, through Facebook, um, it, as long as I see there's a comics connection there, um, I'm more than happy. Um, so th- there's always ways, you know, yeah. to, to find. I'm regularly spamming on, on Facebook as well with any kind of promotion I'm doing for, for any of the, the Kickstarters. So I'm sure many, many of the people listening will be, will have seen some of those in the past. Um, so I think I'm quite easy to pin down if someone needs to uh, find me and get in touch. And your Kickstarter for um, Harker Two is, is starting on Friday, this Friday, as we record. Yeah, this this, this Friday, this Friday morning. Yeah. So Excellent. so so this Friday morning. I'm I'm guessing between eight and a half eight, it'll it'll, it'll, it'll go live. Um. So yeah, that that's going to start then. So. And hopefully that that will do quite well. Um, and obviously, obviously the the first book is available as part of that Kickstarter Brilliant. too. So, so if anyone has missed part one, they can easily get it as part of the, the part two. And all being well, technical wise, um, this episode will be out on the the Saturday after the Friday. So, as you listen to this, then I urge you to go over to Kickstarter and um, and back it. And I'll be putting the links to the websites and all the social medias, and, and I'll put a link to the Kickstarter campaign as well in the show notes. So you've got absolutely no excuse for not buying Steve's wonderful stuff. Yeah, it's been brilliant. And if you want to know more about me and see more of my work, then it's all available at uh, Art92. So the website's art92.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, again, it's all just Art92. As I've said every week, you know, you, you get to our age and you know, if you have more than one social media handle, you, you're screwed. You know, I'm, I'm grateful I remember to put my pants on in the morning these days. So um, we also have a YouTube account where H puts on sort of learning to draw videos for free for people. So check that out as well. And if you've enjoyed this show, and I'm I'm sure you have, because Steve's a brilliant guest. He's so knowledgeable and generous with his time when you meet him in person, also coming on the podcast. Then you can check out other episodes on uh, Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual stuff. Uh, You can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can feel free to give us a review as well, because apparently... I don't know whether this is true, but apparently it does something to the algorithms and makes it easier for people to to find us so yeah please feel free and just once again steve thanks very much mate for coming on i love talking to you because you're so knowledgeable but but um friendly and interesting with it it's, it's really good so really appreciate it mate thank you oh thanks for inviting me on it's been great <laughs> brilliant and uh that's it for this week and hopefully we may have another episode next week or it may be the week after i do say we're sporadic so at the end of the day I can't get done by trade description on that one. But until next time, I'll leave you with the thoughts of H.G. Wells, who said, if you fell down yesterday, stand up today. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) 